Good morning, how we doing? Well, that's about halfway there, so that's good, I guess. We'll go with it. Gonna have a uh, baptism next service, so sorry you're gonna miss it because it's gonna be really cool. Because Nita Wiggins is getting baptized. If you don't know, know Nita, she's like 87. And so if you want to stick around uh, afterwards and just watch, I encourage you to do that. Um, it's going to be a, a, an awesome uh, baptism today. Well, as you know, we're starting a brand new series today. And, and get ready for the catchy title that I came up with, right? It's the Book of Revelation. There, there, there you have it. And if you thought that was creative, look at today's message title, right? It's the introduction. There you go. That, that's as, about as far as my creativity uh, takes us. I'm excited to uh, teach through the, the book of Revelation. I've never preached through that book before, and so... Uh, it, it'll be good, it'll be challenging, I'm excited to do that. Uh, the, the first book of the Bible, though, Genesis, is about uh, beginnings and endings, right? Creation and the fall. The, the last book, Revelation, not Revelations, by the way, right? It's singular, and a lot of times we say it wrong. So, so next time somebody says revelations, just say, you know, that's really not right. Right? There's only one revelation. It's a continuous revelation of God. And revelation is a book of endings and then beginnings. And the book starts with destruction, but it ends with new creation. And the Bible is, if you, if you haven't figured this out, it is an amazing book, right? Genesis 1 starts with creation and the fall and all that goes along with that. And then Jesus has to come and, and die for our sins. And with that, we saw the destruction of sin and yet the grace of God because of our sin. And then you get to the last chapters of the Bible and we find a new creation, from, from creation to creation. That's what the Bible really is, is all about. And so we're going to spend the next 19 weeks, with a few interruptions, I'm sure, uh, looking at this last book uh, of the Bible. And so this morning, I just want to introduce you uh, to the study. Uh, if you're interested, we have study books in the back of uh, the, the worship center here on the book of Revelation, kind of similar uh, to the book of John, if you remember how we did that. And so if you want to study on your own, please feel free uh, to pick up one of those books. There, there's no cost, just take it and, uh, and do your own uh, study. Um, so we're going to kind of go through an introduction this morning, and then we'll really uh, begin looking at uh, the text next week. And, and just for your information, I'm just going to say this up front, uh, the 20-minute sermon thing of the past for the next five, 19 weeks, all right? Um, we are not going to get through this quickly. And so just a heads up for you. I do want to say the book of Revelation is, is not a book about the future. It's a book about your future. This is a very personal 
book. And every single one of us are mentioned in the book. Not by name, but we're all mentioned, right? Because at the end of time, we're either going to be standing with believers in that great multitude at the sea of glass, worshiping Jesus forever, or... We will be standing with the unbelievers at the great white throne of judgment to be banished from God's presence forever. Everybody in all of human history is mentioned in this book. It's a very personal book about our lives and about what God is doing in our lives. And my conviction as we study this book, is that God wrote this book to help us understand the future, not to to keep us from understanding it. And yes, as we read the book of Revelation, especially if you read it for the first time, how many people have read the book of Revelation? Raise your hand right now. Just You've read it, okay? So there's a number of you that have read the book. If you haven't, I want to encourage you to read it, and I'm just going to let you know that that it'll make you a little crazy, right? You're going to start to read it, and you're going to begin to wonder what in the world is it all talking about, right? But, But God wrote it to help us understand. So as we study this together, I believe that God will increase our understanding in a great way. And so now is a a great time to study this book. With all that's happening in our world today, right? A lot of people are worried about the future. Like, will North Korea try to bomb us with a nuclear weapon? What's going on in Russia, right? The Middle East, even here in America, right? Well, with all that going on, can, can I tell you this morning that nothing can take our hope from us? And if you don't get anything else out of the, uh, out of this study, get this this morning. There is nothing, no government, no world events, nothing that is going to take place that can take our hope away from us. So some people read Revelation and they see no hope in it at all. I read the book. I see all kinds of hope. I believe it's a, a book about incredible hope for our lives even today. And so my prayer for us is this, is that our hope would increase. That that, that the people around us would look at at us as believers. Unbelievers would look at us as believers and they would see the hope that we have. And and when you read this book, I I get it. It's like being dropped off into a different world when it comes to the Bible. Like you're being dropped into like Red Dawn or something. Right, you start reading through the the New Testament, right? And you have Jesus like healing people, Paul writing letters to churches, and then all of a sudden you have this beast with seven heads and ten horns coming out of the sea, and it's like all different. And I'm sure it's surprising to some. And so that's why it can make you a little crazy when you read it, but we need to get a a map and kind of orient ourselves to where we're at in this book. And so that's my hope for this morning. It is simply just to like take a tour, a very quick tour, but a tour through the book of Revelation as we introduce the book to you. And when you take a tour, 
especially a quick one like this, sometimes you end up with more questions than you do answers, and that's exactly what I hope for. I, I hope that you have a bunch of questions. And don't email me with those questions, by the way, all right? I don't need like 5,000 emails coming in and answering all those, right? You just come every week, and hopefully by the end of the study, your questions will be answered, right? Especially if you do the study in the back and you dig into the Word and you begin to study it for yourself. And you can search for those answers. So, so let's go ahead and, and try to orient ourselves to the book of Revelation in which we prepare ourselves uh, to begin this study. So four things we're going to see today. Go ahead and take your note sheets out uh, of your program. And you'll notice I have a lot of information on your note sheets today. We're not going to like read all those passages and all that stuff. That's there for you to have. But, but we're going to look at four things today. And first we're going to need to understand the background uh, of the book. And so who wrote it and when it was written is important to know. It's it's important to know that it was recorded by John the Apostle, right? Who also wrote the Gospel of John and 1, 2, and 3 John. John was born at Bethsaida to Zebedee and and Shalom. He was a fisherman that partnered with Peter and Andrew. And, And John was an early disciple of John the Baptist. He was kind of part of that inner circle, right? Him and Jesus and this inner circle were kind of all, you know, tied together. They were tight. I mean, John was at the Mount of Transfiguration. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? He was the one that was assigned to take care of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And and it put the word in your notes, recorded, Because it actually wasn't written by John, right? It was written by God, right? Revelation 1, verses 1 and 2 says that God gave this revelation to Jesus who delivered it to an angel who presented it to John. And so he records what God said to write down. And so this is a letter written by God to us. And Revelation is a book. With a guaranteed blessing. Look with me at Revelation 1 verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. For the time is near. Ever since Jesus left this earth, God is saying to us, I want to bless your life. And one of the ways is by reading this book and hearing it and taking it to heart. Let it affect your life. Let it impact your life, and who you are. This book is meant to have an impact on you. And we've missed prophecy if it doesn't conform us to Jesus Christ in our daily living. As much as we talk about the end times and what's going to happen as we study this over the next months, I really think it would be a sin to study these events of the future without it impacting our lives. Right? Why do I think this? Well, James 1, God's word is a message to obey and not just to listen to, right? We're not supposed to be just hearers of the word. We're supposed to be what? Doers, right? We're we're, we're supposed to be doers of the word. And then over in James 4, 7, knowing what is right to do and not doing it is a sin. 
So, so if I hear something and God wants me to do something and I don't act upon that, it is a sin, the word says. So this cannot be a cold study. You cannot walk into this room every week and just walk out and not have it affect your life. It's got to be a personal study. So as we get into this book, we're going to hear this word worship a lot. comes up a lot in this book. It's a book of how great God is and how our hearts can be drawn to him. And they should because we're going to for all eternity, what? Worship God. This book was written from a place called Patmos. It's a small island. I think we have maybe a map on the screen, hopefully. It's six miles by 10 miles, 24 miles from the coast of Turkey. It's not an ideal vacation spot, by the way. Right? It was a Roman prison island. That's where they sent prisoners to go to. And it is here where John was exiled at the end of his life to this lonely island, Patmos. And it was on this island that the book was written in about 95 AD. Just imagine with me how John must have felt. Right, he's coming to the end of his life. The book was written in 95. John dies in 98. He comes to the end of his life. He's done all that God wants him to do. He's been faithful. He's served. Later in his life, he was an elder at a a church. You read the letters of 1, 2, and 3, John, and you see how he encouraged the entire church. He's at the end of his life, and instead of getting rewarded, he's sent to this prison island. Great, God, thanks. Right? When he goes to heaven, he's got to ask the question, like, God, why can't can I just serve as a pastor until the end of my life? Why am I being sent to this island to be all by myself? How are you going to use me there? And God comes, right, and he takes him to heaven. We'll see in a minute. And he shows him something that no one has ever seen. Right, He lets him see the future in a way that no one could ever imagine and record it so that you and I can sit here today and read what, what God had him record. Right, Don't ever think that God is done with you. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, God has a plan and he still can use you. And he found John on this lonely island or maybe he made sure john was on that island because that's kind of how god works right so that he could hear this revelation Uh, a final thing about understanding the background of revelation is that it is prophetic in message and apocalyptic in form right normally when you hear the word apocalypse you think of like destruction but here that's not what the word means at, at all it's important For us to understand the form of this, it's telling the future by using the form of apocalyptic writing. And apocalypse simply means to unveil or to reveal. It's the kind of writing that kind of pulls back the curtain and shows something clearly that that they haven't been able to see see before. This kind of writing back in John's day, they were familiar with. And he used this to give a picture 
of what God was going to do in the future. And so when it talks about this apocalyptic, it means that, that it also has symbols. Like you probably know this, but the book of Revelation is filled with symbols, right? Like 300 symbols in the book of Revelation. We have to be careful. Because symbolism can definitely lead to like bad interpretation of the Bible. If you just kind of let it read it and kind of figure it out for yourself and all that kind of stuff. If we don't study the whole book, if you don't study the rest of the Bible, and in this case, you really got to know the Old Testament to have a good understanding of Revelation. I don't know if you know that, but, but, but the symbols of Revelation, a lot of them come from the Old Testament. The symbols of Revelation, some of them are explained. Like some of them, God will give a symbol and then he'll say, this is Satan, right? Like, Revelation 12, 9 says the dragon is Satan. Pretty clear. Don't have to like figure that one out. But then a number of them are indirect references to the Old Testament. So that's why I'm saying the understanding of the Old Testament is so important to understanding the book of Revelation. It's why you don't want to read that book first. Right? It's at the end of the Bible for a reason. Right? Let's get an understanding of the Old Testament before we dive in to the book of Revelation. So, so as we understand the background, it, it helps us orient ourselves uh, to the book. And so the second thing we need to do is, is not to miss the emphasis. Right? Let's not miss the emphasis, the main character, the main deal, the most important thing in Revelation. Like I get everyone wants to talk about the beast, right? But like, like, but only like 37 times is the beast mentioned, right? Throne of God is important, mentioned 41 times. Angels, important, mentioned 71 times. But the most important character in the book is Jesus Christ. Well, on every page through every chapter, it's all about Christ, the, the, the Son of Man, the Lamb, the rider on the white horse, and a number of other names. The central person in the book, you can't miss it, is Jesus. It, it would be like going to downtown Seattle, walking down the waterfront and, and looking at all the boats and, and the water and all that. And somebody would, would come up to you after you got back and say, hey, how was the Space Needle in Seattle? And you went, what Space Needle? Right? You totally missed it. Or going to Mount Rushmore and only noticing the landscape and the good hiking trails and, and you get back and somebody would say, you know, did you, what did you think about the sculpture on the side of the mountain? You're like, what, 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 what was that? My prayer is that we will not be like some people who study this book only to see all the, the destruction and the bad things that will happen, but rather we would see the majority of the book is about the great things that God is going to do through His Son, Jesus Christ. So the emphasis is Jesus. And then thirdly, we need to recognize the purpose of the book. Right? Why did God write this book? There have been some different views over the years. And I think it's probably good to work through them. You may or may not heard of these before. But, but I think if we go through them before the study, I'll kind of give you a, a framework. And so there are four general views that people 
have come up with over the years. The first one is the preterist view. It's the view that Revelation is all about the past, right? All the symbols, all the pictures are about what's going to happen or what happened in Rome and the symbols are, are already fulfilled, right? Obviously, I, personally, I'm not a big fan of this view. For me, Revelation is an example of many Old Testament books that have a, a double application prophecy, right? You can't read the book without recognizing that some of it is about Rome and the emperor Domitian that served in Rome at the time, and you can't read it without seeing that it was giving Christians of, of that day, of that time, some hope. Right? They were under intense persecution from the Roman government at the time. But it's just as obvious as you read the book that that's not all that there is in the book of Revelation. Many of the prophecies had its first fulfillment in the time, but was also that their greatest fulfillment will be fulfilled in the end of times. And there are many prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament that fit this format. And the prophecy would mean something to the people in that day. But, but as the New Testament unfolds, they recognize that the prophecy wasn't just for that day, but it had its greatest fulfillment when Jesus came. That's why Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill the law, right? He fulfilled many of the prophecies. And Revelation is kind of like that. Yes, there are some things about Rome here, but that's not the end of the story. It's pretty clear as you hear the words of destruction, the words of new creation, that there's something more going on here than just what happened in the past. The second view is the historically continuous view. That's a view that that revelation is the history of the church uh, from the days of John. Right? It, It tells of what's happening in the church. And in this view, people say that Revelation is all about the early church, and and I really don't believe that's what Revelation is all about. I think it's about the whole world, right? The third view is the spiritualized view. This is the view that the book is purely symbolic, right? It's a lot of pictures. God just wanted to give us pictures of what happened in the end and what that was going to be like. Like nothing of that's going to really happen. It's just a picture, Supposed to capture our imagination. And again, I personally don't agree with that view either. It's obvious to me that Revelation has the urgency of reality and not some just book of stuff that's never going to happen. And then the fourth view is the futurist view. It's, this is the view that prophecy here are all about the end times and they're still yet to happen. This is the view that, that personally I would hold to. And as we look at it and we ask what great things in the Bible tells us about what God's going to do in the future. Right? And, and some terrible things are going to happen. Some awesome things are going to happen. And that being said, what's the purpose of the book? The purpose is not for all the symbols and pictures to confuse us, but to give us confidence. The purpose of the book of Revelation is not to make us wonder, it's to cause us to worship. And we will discover in this study a sense of confidence in what God says about the future and a sense of worship of the God that you and I will spend all eternity worshiping together. And so the ultimate purpose is to give us an overflowing hope. 
Which brings us to point number four. We, we, we need to see the hope. The, the, the thing is, is that people who first read the book or, or, or when, who first read the book are under this extreme persecution. They were in times that probably none of us will, will face, although we have brothers and sisters around the world that probably face persecution like this. Maybe we will at a later date. I mean, just think about it. If you found yourself in a day and age where life is falling apart and you have no hope and the world seems like this terrible place and horrible things are happening, how much hope would you have when you open this book and you realize that the world's not going to stay this way? Well, like God's going to bring it to an end someday. And when he does, we're going to have this new earth and new heaven and and there's going to be no more crying and no suffering and no pain. Can you imagine the need for that kind of hope in a persecuted world? And sometimes when we read Revelation, we go so deep into the ins and outs and, and, and I think it's good to do that and try to understand God's word and death, but at the same time, let's not miss the hope of the book. With that, let's begin our tour. I just got to the tour right now. All right, sorry, but here we go. Revelation is a book about final things, and the outline of the book is found in Revelation 1, verse 19. It's very clear about what John is going to record. He he says, write, therefore, the things you have seen, those that are, and those that are that are to take place after this. So the book is divided into three divisions. And let's go over this for a second. First, he says the things that you have seen. And so what does he see in chapter 1? He sees Jesus, right? So, so if you were to ask, or, or if I were to ask you rather, uh, when I say the name of Jesus, what picture pops into your head? Right? Is, is it like a baby in a manger? Is it a, a healer, a shepherd, a, a man on the cross? Right? The resurrected Christ. What picture pops into your head? The picture in Revelation is probably not what just popped into your head. The picture is an incredible picture of power because that's who Jesus was. Look at this picture in Revelation 1 verse 13. In the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. And if I were to keep reading, it would go on to say and give us a description of hair white as snow, a voice like a roar, holding seven stars, and with a two-edged sword out of his mouth, and on it goes. It's a picture of Jesus. It's a picture of power. And then we have the things that, which are. In chapters 2 and 3, he talks about the seven churches of the day. Right? Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum, Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea. Most of those churches have lost their first love for him. And their hearts are growing cold and some of them have become impure. A few of them have been faithful and he honors them for that. But most of the churches get challenged in the midst of the difficult world in which they live. We'll get into detail of all the seven churches next week. We'll start with the first one. Go through seven weeks of the seven churches. And then the third division is the things which shall be. It's chapters 4 to 22. 
When we get to chapter 4, the theme changes from earth to heaven. Chapter 4, John is invited to come up here, the word says. He just doesn't see heaven. He is taken there to see what God is doing. He describes the throne of God. Can, can you imagine? I mean, just to be in that moment, transported to heaven to see the throne of God and to see Jesus sitting there. And after that, we have the truth begins to pour out about the final days. And the first truth is about final conflict. Revelation is all about seven, so get seven, the number seven in your head. A lot of sevens in the book. Seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. And God unveils these things in sevens as we see what he's going to do at the end of time. And then the prelude to all of this is who is worthy to open the seven seals. And of course, it is Jesus who is the one that's worthy. And Jesus opens the seals and they sing to him, holy, 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 worthy are you, the one who was and is and is to come. Don't miss the songs of Revelation, by the way. There's some awesome, awesome songs that that give glory to God in this book. And then they begin to open the seven or the seals of conflict, right? The white horse of conquest, the red horse of war, a black horse of famine, a pale horse of death, martyrs in the fifth seal who ask how long, how long does this have to go on? And then the sixth seal is an earthquake and then it comes to opening of the seventh seal. And here's how Revelation fits together, right? You have these seven seals and when the seventh seal is open, guess what's inside? Seven trumpets. Right? That's God's way of peeling back what's going to happen at the end of time. And here there are seven trumpets. It's the story of final destruction. And the first trumpet is a third of the earth is destroyed. The second, a third of the sea is destroyed. The third, the third of the rivers. The fourth, a third of the lights. And the fifth, demons come and men are tortured. And the sixth, a third of mankind is destroyed. And this is a time of conflict and, and, and destruction. But, but, but don't forget, at the end of the book, Jesus wins. Right? A time of new creation is coming. And then the seventh trumpet is the seventh bowl. And God has this organized plan. And even in the midst of all the destruction, it's organized in a way where he unveils what he's going to do. And I hope you see the tension between those two, that there's destruction all over the place, but God has a plan, and he is in control even in the end times. And before the bowls are open, there's some historical visions that we see in the book. It's kind of a pause for these visions. There's a vision of worship and the temple being opened, and what a great chapter that will be to study. There's a story of of the dragon and a woman. This woman has a baby and the dragon comes to attack the baby. You just picture like Jesus and Satan, right, going at it. And the dragon is Satan, the woman. It's God's people, the church. And then the people have come from Revelation 12. It says Satan is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short, right? Never forget that, right? Jesus wins in the end. And then there's a vision of the beast. There are two in chapter 13. The beast of the sea and the beast of the earth. Right? The beast of the sea is a governmental beast. The beast of the earth is a religious beast. And this beast has a number attached to it. 
right? It's probably one of the most familiar things about the book of Revelation. More people probably know about this number, right? 666, than they do about the one who has fire in his eyes. And if you don't know who the one who has fire in his eyes is, that's my point. People have always been very fascinated with this one who has this number, who's the beast. And we'll talk about the number 666 when we get to the chapter. But people over the years have speculated who this is going to be. And I guess it's okay to speculate, but understand it's just speculation. When it happens, when this person arises, there'll be no need for speculation. It'll be clear as a bell. Right? Then then we get the vision of the Lamb and the witnesses and the angelic announcement and the great harvest at the end. You can just imagine this. And Jesus and the angels are harvesting the earth, the wheat and the chafe. And then the weeds and the wheat are being harvested for the great final judgment. And then there's seven bowls. And this is God's final wrath. And can I tell you this morning that God hates sin. And an unbelieving world can't understand. But, but here God pours out his wrath against sin. Because destruction has been brought to his creation. And at the end, God will pour out his wrath once and for all. And it will be finished. And these are the last plagues. As you go through the list, you read about sores and about the sea being turned to blood and rivers to blood and the fire coming from the sun and and the beast's kingdom turned into darkness and the river Euphrates is dried up and right after that, the world's Armageddon comes, right? And the great final earthquake. And then the Bible says what? It's done. You know, Jesus said it was finished on the cross and he meant our salvation is finished and God says it's done in the book of Revelation and he means that judgment is finished. And things are going to change from this moment on. But before he can make everything new, one final thing has to come and that is the final judgment. And the first one to be judged is the woman on the beast. They're both related to Satan. When we get there, we'll talk about Babylon and its fall. Well, we'll talk about what Babylon means. The, the fall of the beast and its false prophet. Talks about in these chapters the, the millennium, right? The thousand year reign. Well, we'll talk about what that means. And then the fall of Satan. Satan and then the final judgment of all. But that's not where the book of Revelation ends. The book ends with a final and eternal celebration. And that's God's end to, to everything. Chapter 21, God says, Behold, I am making everything new. Right? That, that's going to be a serious time. But with all that happens and all that's poured out to come to the end and, and God says it's done and we have the judgment and then he says, I'm going to make everything new like you've never seen it before. No more tears, no more sorrow, no hurts. You won't even need the sun or the stars because I'm going to be your light, God says. And another thing to look forward to is the tree of life. Back in Genesis, right? Remember the Garden of Eden? God planted the tree of life and no one was to ever eat from the tree. They ate of of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, but not the tree of life. This tree is going to be smack in the middle of heaven and you and I will be able to eat of it for all eternity. 
right? Everything changes. And that's how the book of Revelation ends. Everything new, a new Jerusalem. And Jesus says, write these words down because I'm coming soon. And so when you read this book, where do you end up? Well, what should our response be? And we've talked a lot about hope, but I really think our personal response as you read the book, John's response as he's encouraged us is to what? Worship. Right? Revelation 22, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and see them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel that had been showing them to me. But he said, do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and the prophets and all who kept the words of this book. And then he ends it and says what? Worship God. Worship God. And so my prayer for us as we enter in to to this book is that we will gather the hope and then at the end we'll just simply worship God. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, thank you for your word today. It's a sobering book. It's filled with hope. It's filled with truth. God, thank you for giving us the truth about what's going to happen in the end. Thank you that Jesus wins and Satan is defeated once and for all. God, as we study this book, would you fill our hearts with hope? No matter what happens in our world, just make us a people. Would you make us a people of hope, God? A people who are certain about the future. A people who are convinced that you have a plan. God, fill us with the hope that attractive to our friends and family members and coworkers. That, that they might see the hope within us and that might draw them to you. God, I'm so excited to one day worship you for all eternity. What a day that shall be. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.